We're going to study the cross study today. And I know that, uh, again, remind you, the studies we're doing, you do whatever the person needs. I'm not trying to create some legalistic thing and we got to do it all structured. Whatever the person needs is what we do to help them become a Christian. So as we study about the cross study, uh, before every study, I'd always review. Uh, do you have any questions from the last one? Is there anything I can help you with? Uh, you going to work through anything? Whatever it may be. When I do the cross study, and we're doing this, you, all, you definitely want to set up your environment to be a good environment. So you want to have it where you're sitting comfortably on a couch or something. You don't do this study in Starbucks. You don't do this study on the subway. You do this study where you can sit down and have some peace and quiet. If they have kids, hey, one of the people there need to all of a sudden start watching the kids. You don't want any distractions for whoever it may be that they can just focus in on this. Now, after the study, I usually give them uh, the passion video. You can get that at Walmart for like $2, $5. I mean, they got so many of them now. But I encourage them to watch it. You can watch them put it in any language, English, Spanish, Japanese, Chinese, I mean, whatever they need. It's very simple like that. But it's good for a person to also have visual aid if they can in helping them see this. So we do the cross study. I'll give them a crucifixion. I say I encourage you here to watch the video. Uh, just take your time doing it. I'm not trying to rush you, but you really want them to embrace what happened on the cross. And I usually just start out, you know, a lot of times we picture Jesus on the cross, and it's what we see from a stained glass or some painting where he's sitting up there and there's one trickle of blood coming down and he's just sitting all looking sad. That is nothing like what really happened to Jesus on the cross. And so what we're going to look at today is going to help you understand the biblical situation of what happened to Jesus on the cross. And so when we're doing the study, I am the only one that, that reads. I don't ask the disciple brothers or even the friend visitor uh, to read whatever it may be. What's wrong with y'all testosterone? This is a man's baby. What y'all doing with all the estrogen in here? See how they try to run out. Like we didn't see y'all. <laughs> really. So you don't want any interruptions when you're doing a study. You want to read the whole Alright, Matthew chapter 26. The way I encourage you to do the study. Again, you want to do what you feel comfortable with. This is something, the way that I found is the best for me. I like to illustrate the whole study as I go through. So what I'll say is, okay, honestly, Frank, as we go through this study, I'm going to read a little bit at a time and kind of talk about it and help you picture it. Read a little bit more and talk about it. A little bit more and talk about it. Then towards the end, I'm just going to read all the rest of it. But as we start, I'm just going to set it up to help you understand this. Because as we go through this, I want you to picture who are you more like in this study. There's going to be different characters, different people. Who are you more like? It could be one, it could be two, it could be all of them. I don't know. But as we go through this, I want you just to picture what's happening in your mind and then realize, okay, the crucifixion of Jesus was more than just him dying on the cross. He had more pain than that. And so I want to start out in Matthew 26, verse 14. It says, Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted off for him 30 silver coins. 
From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, My appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclined at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after another, Surely not I, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who betrayed him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I would not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So as we start to look at this right now, the first thing we see is that in the beginning, Judas, who was one of the twelve, he went to the chief priest, and he had made an agreement with them to betray Jesus. So then they gave him money to betray Jesus. So he grabs the money, money's in his, in his pocket, in his satchel, and he goes on to the Last Supper. So now they're sitting at the Last Supper, and they're all sitting around the table, they're eating, and as they're doing this, Jesus says, one of you guys will betray me. And then they begin to say, surely not I, Lord, surely not I. It gets to Judas, he says, surely not I, Rabbi. Because Rabbi just simply means teacher. So all this time, Jesus was just a teacher for Judas. He was somebody that could improve Judas' life. He wasn't Lord. He was just somebody that could make him a better person. Jesus looks at him and says, yes, it is you. Now you got to picture how hard Judas' heart was. He's sitting there with the money that he just got from these people. And he's looking at Jesus and saying, not me. I don't know what you're talking about. And Jesus, knowing all this, says, yes, it is you. That is how deceitful Judas was. He was so deceitful, he even thought he could lie to Jesus while he was cold busted. And you got to look at this and think, how do you think this made Jesus feel? Here's somebody he took care of for three years. Protected him, fed him, gave him money, trusted him. He was in charge of all the money. And yet he's sitting there with a pocket full of betrayal money saying, it's not me. This is how bad deceit is. And this is how hurt Jesus is by our deceit. We think it's for everybody else, but this is how when you were deceitful, as we looked at the sin and repentance study, the light and darkness, and you talked about the lies you did, this is how Jesus felt from all the deceit that's in your life. And the thing about it that amazes me is that he was so deceitful, he had all the other 11 disciples fooled. All these great men we look at, all these Peter, all these men of wisdom, he was so deceitful, such a liar, that they were like, well, who is it? I don't understand who it is. He puts on such a good show 
that he deceived all the people that was in his life. This is why it's so important that you are honest with what's going on. You cannot be deceitful. That is just like Judas for you to live a life of deceit. Now think of how Jesus felt though. One of his good friends setting him up to be killed and now lying in his face. So then Judas gets up, he goes out to get them. And Jesus says, okay guys, let's go. They get up, they go out, they start singing some hymns and look what happens after that. In verse 31. Then Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Now imagine, first of all, we see how Jesus felt when Judas was betraying him. So now they're out walking, they're singing some hymns, and he says, you know what guys, all you guys are going to leave me tonight. And then Peter, his best friend, says, you know what, maybe they're going to leave me, Jesus, but I'm not leaving. And that sounds good on the outside, but what is he really doing? He's saying, Jesus, you are wrong. Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. You're right about them, but you're not right about me. And he is so prideful, he's calling Jesus a liar to his face. And you know the worst thing about it too? Is that he is so persistent in showing his indignation that all the other disciples started to say the same thing. Jesus, you lying. Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. Jesus, the Bible says they all start doing the same thing. Peter's pride hurt Jesus so much that all the rest of the brothers around him started to gang up on Jesus also. Imagine what Jesus must have felt like. Because he knows what's coming up. He knows he's got to go to the cross. But this is emotional pain. Have you ever had somebody lie, call you a liar to your face in front of other people? Your so-called best friend is calling you a liar. And then everybody else is jumping on you also. This is what Jesus felt like. Remember, he's taken care of all these guys for years. Make sure the Romans didn't hurt them. Make sure they have food to eat. Make sure they have shelter. He's protected. He's done it all. And this is the result he gets. All his close friends are calling him a liar, and one of them is trying to kill him. See, this is what Jesus is feeling, and he hasn't even come close to the cross yet. So you've got to ask yourself, why would Jesus go through all this for you? Why would he lose his friendships for you? Why would he sit through somebody lying and betraying them for you? Because that's how much he loves you. He loves you enough to lose every friendship in his life. See, that's what you got to understand. When we may talk to you about giving up a, a, a girlfriend or giving up a relationship, Jesus gave up everybody, not just one person. He had to give up everybody and go through the cross. After that, look what happens. Verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the, other, and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. 
Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from you. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watching me for one hour, he asked Peter? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Now at this point, Jesus is already feeling overwhelmed. Not only because he knows he's at a dying cross, but now one of his best friends went to go get the people who are going to kill him. And now his other 11 friends are calling him a liar to his face. So he says, you know what? I feel so overwhelmed to the point of death. Now when the Son of God says he feels overwhelmed to the point of death, that's a lot of stress. We get overwhelmed by our, our, our checkbook not balancing right. But he is overwhelmed because he feels like he's about to die. So he says, you know what? Peter, James, John, I need you guys. Just come with me. So he separates himself from the rest. And he says, okay, I want you guys to stay here. And I'm going to go over here and pray. And the Bible talks about it. He was about a rock's throw away. So he was far enough away that they could see him. But they couldn't really hear everything that's going on. So he goes over there and he's praying and he's saying, God, I, I don't want to do this, but if this is your will, then I'm going to do it. And he comes back and he finds his three closest friends sleeping. Now, how would you feel if you really needed somebody? You were on your way to the hospital and you said, I want you just to pray for me. And they just fall asleep. Think of how you would feel if your friends did that to you. Well, he woke them up. And he went back and prayed a second time. And he's praying hard. He's praying, God, if this is your will, I'll do it. But help me. He comes back and again, they're sleeping. Now think about what he must feel like. Like, seriously? You guys are sleeping? This is the first time I've ever asked you. I need you right now. And you're going to sleep. He goes back a third time and prays. And the Bible talks about it. That his sweat was like drops of blood. He was so intensely praying that his sweat literally had blood mixed with it. Now you're going to read about this in the medical account that I gave you. That's called hemodrosis. It's an actual medical documented fact. People during the Civil War times that would get shrapnel or something caught in their legs, they would have to amputate them with nothing to numb them up. They would put a tourniquet on it and literally take a saw and saw right through their flesh, right through their bone, out there in the field. And they didn't pass out. And they were so stressful that their capillaries would burst and their blood would mix with their sweat and it would be a bloody sweat. That's what they did out in the field of military. This is just how hard Jesus was praying. You say, why would he do that for me? He loved you so much, he was willing to sweat blood and prayer for you. He went and prayed three times to get his heart changed. And see, we're just asking you to pray and become a Christian. 
Nowhere near as tough as what Jesus did. And this is why it's so important for you to see why Jesus did what he did. Because he loves you. So he's out there sweating blood. He gets up. He comes back. And what happens? They'll sleep again. The third time they'll sleep. Now let's be honest. If that was one of us, we would be so angry. We'd want to destroy them. Bring down sulfur. We'd want to kill them. But he's sweating blood. He says, you know what? Get up, guys. Because here comes the people that want to betray him. And as he's looking through the woods, he sees people comes out with swords, clubs, torches. It would be like many of us sitting there, and then here comes the KKK walking through the woods for you. He says, look, here they come. They're here to kill me. Get up. Look at what happens next. Verse 47. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kiss me. Jesus replied, Friend, do what you come for. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cut it off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But how then will the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? At that time, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple course teaching, and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place, that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. See, at this point, when they came to arrest him, here's Judas, Mr. Deceitful. He walks up to Jesus, and of all things, betrays him with a kiss. But even though Judas was that hard-hearted, Jesus still looked at him and said, Friend, do what you come for. In other words, he said, Judas, you still got a chance to not do this. There's still a way out. I still consider you a friend, even though this is where your heart is. Guys, you got to see, no matter how far away from God we may be, we can go and turn to God. This is how much he loves us. There is no sin that God can't help you work through. Even when the person that set him up to be killed, he says, friend, you should never, ever doubt if God loves you or not. That should never come out of your mouth. But he says, do what you come for. He betrays him with a kiss. One of his companions reaches for a sword, cuts off the ear. Jesus puts the ear back on it in another, in another gospel. He says, no, 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 no. That's not what I'm here for. I'm not here for war. At this point, they arrest Jesus, and then they take him to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now this right here was already illegal, because according to Roman law, you cannot arrest somebody at night. So already, as it starts out, they're breaking their own legalistic rules that they have. Look what happens here in verse 57. 
Those that arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. The chief priests and whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do you need any more witnesses? But now you heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. Then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Christ, who hit you? Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and the servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another girl saw him and said to the people there, This fellow was a Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with the oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you're one of them, for your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses on himself when he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you would disown me three times, and he went outside and wept bitterly. As they arrested Jesus, they took him to Caiaphas. They accused him. And at this point, they started, the company of guards were companies of fifties and hundreds. They started spitting in his face. I don't know if you've ever been spit on, but that is a very degrading thing to have happen to you. And it's not like they just did a little spit. I mean, they, they cranked it up and they were just spit. Literally, he was drenched with these guards' spit. Then, as they're doing this, here's Peter. The one that said, I'll never deny you. He was close enough to see what's going on, but far enough not to get involved. It's kind of like he was at church on Sundays, but not really committed outside. As he's going, there was a girl, a girl, said, hey, aren't you one of them? I don't know the man. No, surely you're one of them. He started calling out curses on himself. I don't know this man, I swear. He just starts going off. He don't know this man. And then the third time, surely your accent gives you way. And the third time he says, I don't know the man. And the Bible talks about it in another gospel where as he denied him the third time, his eyes met with Jesus. Jesus turned and looked at him, and he looked that same direction when he said, I don't know the man. Jesus could read his lips saying, I don't know the man. Now, how do you think that made Jesus feel? His so-called best friend is saying, I don't know who he is. You got to realize, Jesus is not even at the cross. And emotionally, mentally, he is going through so much you know how you feel when you had an extreme emotional day and you just want to just lay down and sleep and get it through? This is where Jesus was at before any physical cross came about. And you got to ask yourself, why would he go through all this for you? 
This is how much he loves you individually. But what about everybody else in the world? You know what? He died for everybody in the world, but specifically, nobody made you do the sins you did. So he had to die for your sins. He loves you that much. So at this point, look in chapter 27, verse 1. Because this happened all night. you got to remember, he hasn't slept at all. And you know how you feel when you go without sleep. He hasn't slept all night. People spitting on him. People betraying him. All this is going on. So now they're early in the morning. All the chief priests and elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the thirty silver coins to the chief priests and elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied, it's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. The chief priest picked up the coins and said, it is against the law to put this into the treasury since it is blood money. So he decided to use the money to buy powder's field as a burial place for foreigners. That's why it's been called a field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 silver coins that Christ set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy powder's field as the Lord commanded. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said, don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked, which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus, who is called Christ. We release to you Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ. For he knew it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man. For I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What should I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate? But he shouted out aloud, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, let his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Now at this point, Jesus is on trial. He goes before the Roman governor. Here's Pilate. And they bring him out. And Pilate already had a, a, a murderer, a, a rebellious. He started a rebellion. Barabbas, he was guilty of all the stuff he was accused of. So he brings them out, and they're all on this platform, and here's Barabbas, and here's Jesus. And as he brings them out, his wife sends him a message, don't do this, because I had a bad dream. Even here, you know if you married, your wife tell you something like that, that's when you should listen. <laughs> his wife says, don't do this. But he gets out there, and he says, which do you want me to release? Because he's thinking, you know Barabbas is guilty, so they're going to say Barabbas. 
But they said, release Barabbas. Well, what about Jesus? Crucified. He knew he didn't want to do this in his heart, but he was afraid that if he didn't do what the people said, he was going to lose his place. He was such a people pleaser. He was going to do the wrong thing, even though he knew what was right, because he wanted to please people. Remember when we studied in your sin study? And you talked about how you're a people pleaser? That right there hurts Jesus so much, being a people pleaser. So here they are. He says, release Barabbas. Barabbas is like, I can't believe this. What about Jesus? They said, crucify him. Crucify him. Now picture this. There's thousands of people out there. And here's Jesus standing out there. And they're shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Here's Jesus thinking, I raised your kid from the dead. I raised your brother. I raised you. I helped the blind, the lame. I fed 5,000 of y'all. And the response is, crucify him? Think of what Jesus must have felt like. Crucify him? After all I've done for you? Crucify me? Guys, you got to realize what Jesus went through here. He went through so much frustration, so much hurt. Not even physical, but so much emotional, mental hurt from the people. And here's Pilate. I'm going to wash my hands of this, as if that's going to make him okay. He says, his blood is on us and on our children. Us. What they did to Jesus... That his blood is on our hands. You got to remember, all this is happening, guys. And again, he's not even at the cross. See, this is a lot more to it than what you see on television, than what you see on the stained glass pictures. Think of all the pain he's gone through already. Then they said, okay, they take him away to flog him. And when they flog a person... They strip the clothes off the back and they stretch them out either over a rock or they hang his arms up. And it's a long leather strands and at the end of it is clay. There's chipped clay, bones, rocks. It's really sharp. And so they swing it around and they stick it in the back and then they pull it. So it's not like just a cut. It goes in and it's like a paper cut. How you get a little paper cut in your finger and it just hurts because it won't close up right. They lash up and then they pull it down with strips of that. And so you got lash after lash after lash. And it was against their custom to go past 40, so they would do 39 lashes, just so they wouldn't break the law. 39 times, getting lashed on his back and pulling, just ripping the skin out. Literally, his back was just hanging mesh. Pieces of his skin was falling down. It was just loosely hanging there. We've seen a lot of movies where slaves were getting whipped. That's nothing compared to what happened with Jesus. Because in this, they had purposely put things in there to make it worse for him in the flood. Then look what happens here. Again, chapter 27, verse 27. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered a whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him, and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. 
Hell, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him in the head again and again. After they mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. So at this point, he had been flogged. His back is just flesh hanging there. It says, then they put a scarlet robe on him. And scarlet was a color that, that was not honorable. It was to demean him even more. So they put the robe on him. Now at this point, his back was such a mess that when they put the robe on him, the robe just sank into his blood and to his skin. Then they put a crown of thorns on his head. And not like the roses that we have, those little thorns. This is thorns that they used to start fires. It was like firewood, thick thorns. So you put a crown of thorns on his head. Then they took a staff and hit him in the head. So those thorns were going into his skull, into his eyes. And your head is one of the uh, areas that bleed most profusely. Blood is gushing down. It's going into his eyes, into his ears. It's stuck in his head to the point that he can't even move. He can't even see what's going on. Then they punched him in the face again and again. Then they took the staff and nailed down in front of him, ah, mocking him. Then it says at that point they took the robe and ripped it off his back. So pieces of his back is literally stuck to the robe as they pull it off of him. Like you have a band-aid and you pull it off and the stab is still stuck to it. His entire back is now it's as if he's getting flogged all over again. All this, and they say, you know what? We've had enough fun. Now let's go crucify him. You gotta say, why would Jesus go through all this? This is how much he loves you. He's willing to go through losing his family, his friends, his eyesight, emotional, his mental stability, losing everything. So you can have a relationship with God. Look what happens after this. Verse 32. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon and forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means place in the skull. They offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed a written charge against him. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right, one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross and be the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests and teachers of the law and elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the men. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabbatani, which means, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge, put it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone, let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, tombs broke open, and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs, and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. 
When the centurion and those who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. So as they took him to Golgotha, his back was so ripped up, his head was so in pain from the thorns, he could not even carry his own wooden beam to his place of crucifixion. So they picked somebody else to carry the wooden beam for him. Then when they got him up there, they nailed him to the cross. And it's not like the pictures that you see where it nails in his hands. That's not true because it would just rip right through that flesh that's in between your hands. They actually nailed it in his wrist, on both wrists with his arms above. Then they crossed his legs, bent his legs, and nailed it through his feet down there. Now on the cross, you don't die of blood loss, you die of suffocation. Because as your arms are up there, it's easy to breathe in, but it's hard to breathe out. So what you have to do in breathing out, you have to push with your legs up so your body would be at a level that's lower than your arms. So here's his back, laying on this wooden beam. As he pushes up, all these splinters are going right into his nerves, right into his skin, right into his back. And he has to do that just so he can breathe out. And then he falls back down. And then he has to go up again. He's cramping up in his legs, in his arms. And as he's up there, they try to give him some, some drinks, some mix with gall. But after he tasted it, he wanted nothing. That was used to numb you up. But he wanted nothing to numb you up. Because in hell, there's nothing to numb you up. So he had to go through all the pain that we would go through. He had to take it all for us. And so there he is for hours on the cross. Trying to breathe. Back down again. Up. Trying to breathe. And as he's doing this, they're just making fun of him. They start rolling dice for his clothes. They start making fun, throwing things at him. Saying different things about him. And the crucifixion is a slow, torturous death. But something happens to Jesus on the cross. That he screams out. Lama, lama, lama. God, my God, why are you forsaken? He just could not understand. Something happened to him that he couldn't even fathom. I'm going to show you what that is. Look over in 1 Peter. First Peter chapter 2, verse 21. says, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justice. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you are like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. It says here that he himself bore our sins and his body on the tree. The tree meaning the cross. So as he was on the cross, all of a sudden he took on every single sin you've ever done. Every time you lied, he became a liar. Every time you cheated, he cheated. Every time you masturbated, he masturbated. Every time you cursed, he cursed. He became everything that you were all at one time. 
And once he took on your sin, all of a sudden, a wall came up between him and God. So God could no longer look at him. For the first time ever, God was separated from Jesus. He never felt that before in his life. He said, God, why have you forsaken me? What happened? What what is this? He he couldn't understand it. It's like a kid in in an apartment store who can't find his mom or dad. And he's screaming, Mom, Mom, where are you? He's screaming out, where are you? Why did you leave me? God can no longer be with Jesus once he took on your sin. This is what you got to understand. It's like taking an innocent baby and sucking out this black, ooey, gooey stuff and just injecting it into that baby all at one time. It was so much for him to take your sin at one time, his heart literally could not take it. Literally, he didn't die of suffocation, but of heart attack. Even when at the end, when the centurion stuck his sword in him, it said water gushed out. Because the water, the sack around his heart busted. Literally, he... It was too much for him to take on your sin all at once. Imagine all the guilt you've ever felt at one time hitting All the pain at one time hitting That's what Jesus did. As he was on the tree, he bore all your sins on him. Why would he do that? Because that's how much he loves you. And see, this is why we can no longer get involved in the pornography. The masturbation, the immorality, all the impurities, all those things. Every time you do, this is why Jesus had to die for you. We can't say Jesus is Lord if we're still living these lifestyles. you got to understand. Now you got to figure out, who am I more like? Am I like Judas? Am I just a big, deceitful, two-faced liar? Am I like Peter? I'm just so prideful. That even I lead other people into being prideful. Am I like Pilate? I'm such a people pleaser even though I know the right thing to do. I just don't do it. I want to love God, but I am too concerned about what people think for me to really do the right thing. Am I like these centurions? They beat Jesus. It was just a job to them. They got up the next day and went right back to work. We can get caught up in a tradition of just coming to church, just reading the Bible, but not living it out. Yes. That's like centurions. They're just doing their job, moving on. Or we can be like Peter. Even though Peter messed up big time, it says he went outside, he wept bitterly, he changed. And he ended up being the one with the keys to the kingdom. Starting the church for God. See, you're never too far away that the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. He can always help you. But you got to make a decision. What are you going to do? See, the real issue now is not what Jesus did for you. But what are you going to do for Jesus now? See, brothers, when you go home, you're going to have to ask yourself, how much longer am I going to struggle with masturbation? Am I going to struggle with the internet on my phone, on my computer? How much longer am I going to struggle with not having a quiet time after all that Jesus went through for me? How much longer am I going to struggle? I mean, seriously, after all that Jesus went through for us, we've got to make some decisions to really repent and be different. This is what Jesus went through. I want to encourage you to read that medical account. 
to read it through, to see what he did for you. And even in medical terms, even look at it like that, you may not be able to understand all the words, but you can understand the heart of what is being said there. Because it still comes down to 2 Corinthians 7, what kind of sorrow are you going to have? Godly sorrow, worldly sorrow. Here's worldly sorrow. Man, I feel bad about what happened to Jesus, and, and I, I'm, I'm just not going to do this anymore. Happens again. You know what? I still feel bad, but, you know, it's all right. I'm, I'm working on it. Happens again. You know what? I'm going to pray about that. You know, I'm sure I'll overcome it. The more you do it and not take responsibility, the less and less conviction you're going to have about it. Or, you're simply, most kids, they start crying because they got caught, not because of what they actually did. Parents, adults may not cry about it, but they excuse it because they got caught instead of what they did. Or we can have godly sorrow. Godly sorrow says the eagerness to clear yourself. That means nobody has to ask you about your sin. You're going to somebody to talk about it. A readiness to see justice done. Whatever I got to do, I'm going to do it because I need to be right with God. See, this is where you got to make a decision. Am I going to be like Pilate, Judas, the guards, or Peter? Peter was the only one that repented and had godly sorrow. Jesus loves you. There's no doubt about it. And he went through a lot more than stained glass can show. So, this is our study on the cross. Hopefully it impacted you, encouraged you. Hopefully you can learn something from this. But it's good if you can just break it down and take it through step by step and paint the picture of what Jesus did. Amen? Amen.